0: Hello and welcome to episode number 58 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm Chris Trapoti of DraftAnalyst.com, and with me as always is Tony Pauline, as we're now over a week past the end of the 2019 NFL Draft. Last week, we broke down which teams in each division enjoyed the best drafts, and now that the dust has settled even further with undrafted free agent signings, we'll break everything down in a bit more detail for you over the next several weeks here.
1: Yeah, I I mean, you know, it's always fun to grade drafts, but you got to remember, all it is is names on the piece of paper. So we're not going to give letter grades or anything like that. We're just going to talk through whether we thought the pick was uh, a good value pick, whether we thought it was a good fit. And then we'll mention some of the undrafted free agents.
0: And now our next 16 shows, yes, I said 16 shows, will be dedicated to in-depth division-by-division draft reviews. We'll record two shows to cover each division, and we'll break down two divisions per week. That'll get us through the end of May here, and we'll start today with the AFC East. And within that AFC East, we'll break down how the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins did now as we mentioned on our last show the bills enjoyed an excellent 2019 draft haul starting at the very top with ed oliver even after they drafted harrison phillips in round three last year the bills still had a huge hole to fill on the inside with the retirement of kyle williams enter oliver one of the top players in this year's draft he was drawing a lot of trade-up interest in the days leading up to the draft the atlanta falcons were reportedly after him trying to jump up from number 14. the bills were also looking to trade up ironically enough from number nine to make sure that they secured Oliver in the end they didn't have to make a move up the board and they ended up with an elite athlete on the interior Oliver is a great first step really wreaks havoc behind the line of scrimmage he's fluid when he moves laterally despite being about 20 pounds lighter than his new teammate Harrison Phillips Oliver is going to be the guy on the inside in the middle of that line drawing double teams and garnering most of the offense's attention overall a really nice add for Buffalo in terms of both value and need Yeah, absolutely.
1: Like you said, I mean, there was rumors that Buffalo was looking to trade with the Jets to move up and select him. And there was even rumors that the Oakland Raiders were going to draft him. And as we said in the lead-up to the draft, Oliver was the Bills' number one target. I know that they liked Andre Dillard. I know they liked Jonah Williams. I was not sure how they felt about T.J. Hawkinson, but I knew that they loved Eddie Oliver. And they got him. And he's going to be a great fit lining up next to Harrison Phillips because Phillips is more the bigger, stronger, wide-bodied guy who's not as athletic can occupy the blockers. He's going to uh, take up the gaps and allow Ed Oliver to explode and do what he does best, be used as sort of a uh, three-technique tackle on steroids. I'm not saying he uses steroids. What I'm saying is, is he's just really a three-technique tackle extraordinaire. He was a sensational pick for the Bills, and I expect early, early returns from Oliver.
0: Now, Buffalo had three picks on the draft's second day. The first one they drafted, Oklahoma offensive lineman Cody Ford early in round two, another player that they were rumored to have interest in trading up for but didn't have to in the end. In the third round, they added Florida Atlantic running back Devin Singletary and Mississippi tight end Dawson Knox. Now, Ford's probably going to start his career at right guard. He can also play right tackle if the Bills want to use him there. I know there's a bit of... uh, not indecision but uncertainty on how the bills offensive line is going to wind up but one thing that does seem pretty certain is that ford is going to be in one of those two spots on the right side he's powerful at 330 pounds showed well at the combine considering that size and girth and he really brings versatility and talent to the buffalo offensive line now singletary on the other hand Didn't show quite as well in Indy, ran a 4.66 at just 203 pounds, but he rushed for over 3,000 yards and 54 touchdowns for the Owls the last two seasons. Shows good shiftiness on tapes, and he's really in a good spot to learn the ropes behind both LaShawn McCoy and Frank Gore before possibly taking over a key role in that backfield, if not a starting role, in 2020. And Knox was an excellent athlete, underused at Ole Miss. Obviously, they had a ton of talent at receiver with A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, and even DeMarcus Lodge. Now, Knox isn't really a great blocker. He's likely going to start his career behind offseason free agent signing Tyler Croft. But like Devin Singletary, Knox could grow into a starter by his second season in Buffalo. Now, Tony, what do you think about the Bills' second day haul?
1: Well, you were right with Cody Ford. I mean, they were talking about moving back up in the round one to get him. Like Ed Oliver, they didn't have to move a muscle, and Ford fell right uh, into their laps. It'll be interesting to see where he lines up at the next level. Like you said, they got him slated at right guard. He could potentially pay, uh, a play tackle. They signed a lot of guys in free agency, so it's a matter of all those guys meshing together and learning to play with one another. But again, you know, you want to protect Josh Allen. You want to make Josh Allen better. You want to help his development. You got to protect him. Singletary, I think, I was not as high on Singletary as a lot of other people who absolutely love him. But ironically, he's got a game that's similar to LeSean McCoy. I mean, he's not super fast, but he's smart. He's got great quickness. He shows the ability to create yardage. He's a tough ball carrier. He continually runs north-south, keeps the play in bounds. I think it's a a situation there where he'll back up LeSean McCoy, and we'll see if he's worth maybe being a starter down the road. But still, in the third round, I thought that was a solid pick for him. I love the selection of Dawson Knox. Like you said, you know he's going to play behind Tyler Croft, but you know Croft has been kind of up and down throughout his career. I think that's a great fit, more of a move tight end. He, yeah, he's got to improve his blocking. I don't know how much they're going to use him as an inline blocker, but again, he's incredibly athletic. When he was throwing the ball at Mississippi, he did a good job of it. And just like you want to protect Josh Allen, you want to give him more targets, you know, to throw the ball to, and Dawson Knox absolutely fits that bill.
0: Now moving on to the third day here, where the Bills had four picks. They grabbed Florida linebacker Voshan Joseph in the fifth round, Miami Safety Jaquan Johnson in the sixth, and North Carolina AT edge rusher Daryl Johnson and Boston College tight end Tommy Sweeney in the seventh. Now Joseph is a fast, instinctual linebacker. He's going to be a special teams ace from the word go. He is a bit small at just 230 pounds and is kind of buried on the depth chart for now, but he does have Decent ability in coverage and a three-down skill set if he ever develops down the line. Now, Jaquan Johnson is a bit buried, too, but he's a high-character guy, good leadership skills, and he's interchangeable at both safety positions, so it's a good depth add for Buffalo. Daryl Johnson was a nice flyer in the seventh round. He's quick off the snap, bends the edge. He goes all out to make plays. He's a bit thin. He's 6'6", only 253 pounds, likely isn't going to hold up if asked to be used out of a three-point stance, but he has definite sub-package potential after some time developing on the practice squad. And Sweeney, you mentioned weapons and protection for Josh Allen before. Sweeney can provide both the second tight end that Buffalo drafted, projects more as a long-term backup to a guy like Dawson Knox. He's a reliable pass catcher in the short and intermediate fields. He can also block as well. He's kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, which screams backup profile. But in the seventh round, he's a guy that can definitely impact the roster.
1: Yeah, you know, Vosheen, Joseph, I like the player, but I don't like the fit. I think Joseph would have been better in a 3-4 defense at inside linebacker where he could run and chase and really use his speed as an asset in pursuit. You know, he's going to be stuck behind Tremaine Edmonds. He's not even the same type of player as Edmonds. Maybe they eventually kick him to the outside. Like the player, kind of question the fit. Similar situation with Jaquan Johnson, because while you think he can play free or strong safety, I basically like him singularly as a uh, a strong safety facing the action. Maybe in his own system, he's not a true center fielder, but he is a hard hitter. I mean, he does go for the knockout blow. So I think at the very least, he could be the fourth safety on the team if he plays well. On special teams, and he's got a special teams mentality. I would agree with you with Daryl Johnson. I think Johnson's the type of guy that's headed for the practice squad. He's got to get bigger. He's got to get stronger. Decent athlete who makes a lot of plays up the field, uh, but he's got to put a complete game together. I thought the seventh round is where he deserved to go, and I think he's going to be destined for the practice squad. Same thing with Tom Sweeney in the sense that I think he was seventh round value. I do think he can make an active roster, though, because as you said, he's solid as a blocker. He's solid as a pass catcher, and he has all the tools necessary to really make a Sunday roster as a third tight end.
0: Now, the Bills signed several free agents after the draft as well. There were actually several big names on the list, namely Buffalo quarterback Tyree Jackson, West Virginia wide receiver David Sills, and Texas A&M linebacker Tyrell Dodson. Now, Jackson obviously won't have to travel very far from his college team, and there's obvious upside there with him at 6'7", 245 pounds. He runs a four six forty, so he's an excellent athlete. He has a really big arm, but... Overall, his accuracy and consistency at the college level left a lot to be desired and ultimately is why he went undrafted as another potential practice squad candidate here. Now, David Sills is a former quarterback himself. We actually chronicled his entire football journey on episode 51 of the show. So if you're curious about that, rewind on back and and listen to that. It's very interesting to see where he started and where he has ended up now in his career. Obviously, he put up big numbers in Dana Holgerson's air raid offense, but he's a limited athlete, struggles to separate. There may be some growth to him, though, considering his limited experience at receiver. So he's more of a experience project than a traits project, which is what people generally consider a raw player who needs development. Now, Dodson was actually a second day grade on our board. So seeing him fall completely out of the draft was certainly a surprise, even though he had a disappointing 2018 season. He's a bit small, but he showed good athleticism at the combine and Really just needs to get his play back to where it was as a sophomore, and he will prove to be a steal here.
1: For the life of me, I can't understand why Dotson fell out of the draft. I mean, and again, with the situation, it's sort of like both Joseph I like the player, but I just don't know how he fits. I thought Dotson would have been better off on the inside of a 3-4 defense. Now, maybe Buffalo may use more 3-4 sets this year. I'd love to find out the reason why Terrell Dotson fell out of the draft. I thought he was worthy of a top 100 pick. Like you said, I thought he was better in 2017 than he was in 2018, but he's fast. He ran fast at the combine. He was very good during pro day, so I was surprised by this. You know, David Sills, if somebody last September— told you that uh, David Sills teammate Gary Jennings was going to be selected in the middle rounds and David Sills wasn't going to be drafted at all they would have looked at you like you were crazy there was no way that was going to happen i mean people were talking about David Sills as a potential first round pick we never did on this podcast because we said all along great football player but just really not a good athlete there were some as we said on this podcast who think that David Sills has a, a large amount of upside not because he's a great athlete but because he's only played the receiver position for a few years, which, which you chronicled well about a month ago. So I, I think it's a great signing for the uh, Bills. I'd be surprised if he doesn't make the active roster. And again, you know, it's, he's a smart guy who understands the position and is going to be another pair of reliable hands for Josh Allen. Tyree Jackson is worth a roll of the dice. I mean, Tyree Jackson has got all the physical skills, but he needs work from the ground up on his game. He needs work on his reads. He needs to move his eyes away from the primary target faster. He needs to do more than just rely on his rifle arm to make plays. But he's a ways from that. So I, I could see Tyree Jackson. Don't know if he makes the active roster this fall. I could see him more of a practice squad type guy.
0: Now, we won't give out letter grades on these shows, but in terms of very good, good, average, below average, where do you think the bills fall on the spectrum?
1: I'm going to go one higher. I thought they did an excellent job. I think hands down, they had the best draft in the AFC East. I think they had one of the best drafts in the AFC. When you look at the collection of players, I see an immediate starter in Ed Oliver, who's going to add impact. I see an immediate starter in Cody Ford. I see uh, two third round picks in Singletary and Knox that will contribute as uh, rookies and then may eventually develop into starters. And I see a seventh round pick in Tommy Sweeney, who I think could make the depth chart as a third tight end.
0: We'll fly south to Miami in just a moment here. But first, please support the Draft Analyst by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. And if you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Trapoti at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst 1, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch with the show. Moving on to the Dolphins here. Miami had only six picks, including just two in the top 150. And we all know why after they traded for former Arizona Cardinals quarterback Josh Rosen. But we will start with the player they chose at number 13. And that's Clemson defensive tackle Christian Wilkins. Really a great combination of power and athleticism on the inside. He's also a cerebral high character guy as well, which shouldn't be viewed as a negative. But there were some out there that did question whether that intelligence and his interest off the field could take some of his focus away from football. But when he's on the field, he is dominant. Very hard to move off the point, even when he's double teamed. Can make an impact as an interior pass rusher shooting gaps as well. Tony, what did you think of the Wilkins pick?
1: I think it was a no-brainer. I mean, Wilkins was a guy that I had mocked to the Miami Dolphins back in January. you got to remember how Christian Wilkins, this is a guy who the past two years, scouts have had graded as either the top prospect in the nation or one of the top prospects. He was one of the top prospects as a junior coming into the 2017 season. He was one of two top prospects coming into his senior season. So he's lived up to expectations. You know, like you said, there are questions as to whether or not he turns it on and off, but he's athletic. He's smart. He's a playmaker. He is an incredibly athletic defensive tackle on film. He's a guy who plays like a three-technique tackle in the sense that he can shoot the gaps, change direction, and get out in space and make plays in the pursuit. He has the power to hold the point or overpower or overrun blockers. You know, I think that's going to be an excellent tandem in the middle of the uh, Dolphins' defensive line with Christian Wilkins and Davon Godchow, a guy who kind of early in his LSU career showed a lot of good things and kind of fell off. I think Wilkins will elevate Godchow's play. I think it's, it's a good pick, and it's going to make the entire defensive line better because of his infectious play.
0: Now, Miami traded back from number 48 in round two. They also gave up pick 116 to move back to 62, get a sixth rounder, and also got an extra 2020 second round pick, which is very big here because they then flipped that 62nd pick to Arizona for Josh Rosen. Now, picking up a little extra draft capital next season and still getting the guy that you were going to get potentially with the 48th pick is a definite coup here. So excellent job by Chris Greer and the Dolphins there. They obviously got a valuable pick next year and still got a potential quarterback of the future for them guy. They won't have to pay very much. And Rosen is the guy we were very high on last season. Miami got him at great value here and hopefully they can put him in a better situation than what Arizona did last year. And hopefully they can avoid being at the top of the draft. And then their decision comes again. Do you draft a quarterback with that pick or do you roll with Rosen for one more season? Moving on to their third round pick, Michael Dieter, the guard from Wisconsin. He's really a road grader, plays with good fundamentals, awareness on the offensive line, and really blocks with a nasty edge and an attitude. But he's ineffective in space. He struggles to recover against some of the quicker pass rushers that he faced. Tony, break down what you think, A, of the Rosen trade, and B, the selection of Dieter.
1: Well, we've gushed about the Rosen trade, and we talked about what a great move it was for Miami. I think two things. Number one, I think Rosen's personality, which has kind of rubbed some people the wrong way, will actually work well in Miami because I think he's the kind of guy that, you know, can push the distractions away and really focus on football. What I really hope is that the Miami Dolphins go into this all out for Josh Rosen. I hope they're not looking at it as a one-year project in the sense that, well, if Josh Rosen doesn't work out, not a big deal. We've got extra picks. We'll work to move up and get Tua Tagliavoa. Don't do that. I mean, this guy should be the quarterback of the future. This is a guy who, you know, they're going to play the Jets twice during the season. And I remember if you go back at draftanalyst.com, when UCLA played uh, USC the final year where right before Rosen and Sam Darnold, Uh, declared for the draft. Scouts I spoke with who were at the game were talking about you're looking at two potential Hall of Fame type guys with the talent they saw on the field. They were absolutely in love with Rosen's ability, his skill set, his accuracy, uh, what's going on between the ears, the way he elevates the play of uh, players around them. Again, I think the worst thing for Rosen is that this is sort of a one-year, let's see what happens in Miami. If they don't do well, we're going to move up and get Tua And No, just put all your ammunition into Josh Rosen because there's no reason why he can't be a dominant franchise quarterback moving forward. Dieter was an outstanding pick. And as you said, he's more of a small area blocker, not really effective in space. But they got Isaac Asiata starting at one guard spot, Jesse Davis starting at the other. Dieter is an immediate improvement against both of those players. I think he'll be starting soon into his rookie campaign.
0: Now, Miami added four picks on the third day. They started with Dieter's college teammate, Wisconsin linebacker Andrew Van Ginkle, in the fifth round. They went with Ohio State tackle Isaiah Prince in the sixth. And with a pair of seventh-round picks, they picked up Auburn fullback Chandler Cox and Washington running back Miles Gaskins. Now, Prince here in the sixth round, good value has a better chance to become a starter than most sixth-rounders do. He played on the left side with the Buckeyes, should end up moving to the right side at the professional level. His footwork and agility aren't great, but he's smart. He's powerful, really good with his hands, and plays with good technique. Gaskin, really productive college back at Washington, just isn't big enough or athletic enough to be anything more than NFL depth or a third-down change of pace type of runner, but he can catch passes. He plays well in space. He's quick. He can string multiple cuts together. He's not going to create much after contact, but he'll still be an effective depth player for the Dolphins. Van Ginkle, more of an in-the-box linebacker, has his struggles in coverage because he's not a great athlete, but he is a guy who can play special teams and back up on the strong side. And while fullbacks are kind of a dying breed in the NFL at this point, Cox ended up getting himself drafted despite not really standing out in any one facet of the game. When you're looking at a fullback, he can catch the ball, but his strength and athleticism are just average in terms of his blocking ability. He's a solid overall player, but he just doesn't show me anything exceptional to make me think he was really worth a draft pick here. Tony, what do you think about what Miami did on the third day?
1: Yeah, I, I was surprised Van Ginkle went as early as he did. And I think he's better as a 3-4 linebacker rather than a 4-3. So I think it may be a struggle for him. I'm of the same opinion with you when it comes to Isaiah Prince. I thought he should have been taken at least two rounds earlier. He's got the size. He's got the mentality. He's got the smarts to be a starting right tackle in the NFL. I saw him get beat one time this year, and that was against Chase Winovich, which we actually spoke about on this podcast, where Winovich was able to slice inside of him. But he uses his hands well. He's big enough to block down or engulf golf defenders. Again, I think Prince is a guy who is going to see a lot of action next year and could be a future starter at right tackle for uh, the Miami Dolphins. I am surprised that Chandler Cox was selected. He's a fun guy to watch at Auburn. Does a little bit of everything well. I just, unless they're going to use him, Four special teams. Now, Miami, what I'm looking at, really doesn't have any fallbacks on their depth chart. So unless they're going to use him primarily as a uh, special teams player at the next level, I think, you know, he may have an uphill battle. I do like the selection of Miles Gaskin in round seven. You know, when you compare him to Kellen Balazs, although they're two different types of players, you know, Bellage is a great athlete who's very inconsistent as a football player, where Gaskins is a very consistent football player who's not a great athlete. I think he projects well as a third down back, as a situational ball carrier. I don't think he's going to be an every-down player. But still, I absolutely think he's a guy who is worth the seventh-round choice.
0: Now, as you might expect from a team with just so many holes on their roster, Miami signed over a dozen free agents after the draft. To me, the standout values among those UDFAs were New Mexico State linebacker Terrell Hanks, Colorado State receiver Preston Williams, and Mississippi State guard Dion Calhoun. Now, we saw Hanks up close and personal at the Senior Bowl. He's an aggressive player. He has good instincts, but he ran a 4.98 at 242 pounds at the Combine, which was really a death knell to his draft potential, more of a two-down defender and special teamer. Preston Williams is a guy. Now, he has a ton of talent. Only one season of real legitimate production. He bounced around schools. He was at Tennessee. He ended up at Colorado State. He was suspended in 2017 for domestic violence. Also didn't really impress at his pro day, so it's really not a surprise considering all of that, despite his production and the ability he shows on tape, that he went undrafted. He does flash dominance at times. He's six four. He can win above the rim. So while he's a long shot to stick, it's definitely worth a flyer after the draft here And Calhoun, Also a nice snag, kind of similar to Michael Dieter, who we mentioned earlier as an explosive small area lineman with good size, good strength, but struggles when he's asked to pull out around the line of scrimmage. He's a bit stiff. We actually had those players within a round or so of each other on our draft board, which kind of goes to show you one going in the third round, one going after the draft, which one represented better value. But, Tony, what did you think of those players and any of Miami's other UDFA signings?
1: Well, you know, the thing about Hanks is not only did Hanks run a 4.98 at the combine, he didn't run during pro day. So he didn't really try to improve on that time, which kind of tells you something right there. He's not much faster than that, which I think really hurt him. You know, Preston Williams, when he's at the top of his game, he's a game controlling, a game impacting receiver. The problem is, is the tape is very inconsistent. He didn't run well at his pro day. And like you said, there are the the off-the-field issues. Uh, Deion Calhoun was a surprise to me that he fell out of the draft. I think he's going to add depth at guard or right tackle for the uh, Dolphins. I think he can make the active roster. They signed a lot of interesting guys. I like Nick Needham of UTEP. If he plays well on special teams, I could see him making it as a uh, dime back at the next level. Dwayne Hendricks of Pitt and defensive lineman and Jonathan Ledbetter of Georgia. Hendricks is a tall, thin pass rusher that's very quick off the edge. If he shows anything in camp, I mean, he could make it as a situational pass rusher. Jonathan Ledbetter had an outstanding 2017 campaign, but he just never improved on it. In fact, he regressed in a lot of ways. He did not have a good year, good season in 2018. He was nondescript at the senior ball. Uh, His testing wasn't that good, but, you know, he's got some underlying ability. It's just a matter of getting him back to where it was. Trent Irwin of Stanford, wide receiver. A lot of people thought if he hadn't gotten injured and was able to test in the uh, postseason and and work out at at the combine and things like that, he may have gotten drafted. What he is is he's going to be a good slot receiver, return specialist at the next level. So if he produces as a return specialist over the summer, I could see him making the roster as a uh, fifth wideout. Aaron Montero of Boston College, a guy who we had a report on at draftanalyst.com was not graded during the season, played left tackle, projects to uh, the right side in the NFL. I don't think he's going to make an active roster, but I absolutely think he's a guy who will end up on the uh, practice squad this fall.
0: Now, Tony, as we kind of wrap up here, as far as grades go, again, not a letter grade, but just in general, how do you think Miami did compared to, say, what an average draft was and definitely compared to the Bills draft, which we discussed earlier?
1: I don't think the collection of players was as strong as what the bills uh, w- were able to put together. Granted, they didn't have as many picks, but I think you've got to add Josh Rosen into this because Josh Rosen absolutely factors into this draft. And, and when you do that, I think they were good. I, I thought the Dolphins did a real good job. You, you're getting Christian Wilkins. You're going to add immediate impact on the defensive line. You got Michael Dieter, who's going to, I think will start as a rookie in the NFL. You got Isaiah Prince who could eventually start. And then if they play their cards, right and they approach it the right way, you may have your franchise quarterback in Josh Rosen. So, you know, I don't want to say it's excellent where the bills are, but it was very good.
0: That's all for the 58th episode of The Draft Analysts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll be back Tuesday to break down the Jets and the Patriots draft And after that, we'll have the NFC East on tap for you on Thursday and Friday to close out the week. And as always, head over to draftanalyst.com, where right now we have a 2020 mock draft up to take a quick look at some of the projected top prospects for next season. And we also have enough scouting reports on UDFAs to really make your head spin. So if you have a team that signed several players after the draft and you're not really sure where to find information on them, draftanalyst.com is absolutely your place to go for Tony Pauline. This is Chris Cipote. We'll talk to you soon.